at the table. <laughs> oh, this is quite emotional, guys. <laughs> That's what she'll say when you cry at the birth of your firstborn. Get a grip. Oh, oh, get a grip. Sorry, Beth. I'm just really proud of what we've done over these last nine episodes until now. The number of hours we've got into it. So. Yeah. Like, let's work it out how many hours we've spent recording this. For like 24 hours. Well, I, like I have all the original files still. So I could actually work out the recording time, plus the extra, plus the editing time, plus the uploading. Yeah. So let's do it. Hello, welcome to At The Table. Thanks for joining us on this, our 10th and final episode of this series. We hope you've enjoyed the previous nine episodes. If you've not listened yet, head on back to Palm Sunday and have a listen, because we're about to finish the story of Easter by looking at the ascension of Jesus. So we hope you enjoy this episode with us and gain something from it. So for the final time this series, I'm Lucy. We've got Joe here. Hey. Beth. Hi. And John. Bonjour. <laughs> Wacky John. <laughs> hey. John's going to be reading the Ascension of Jesus for us from Luke 24, verses 50 to 53. So, yeah, so I've got the, the Bible in here. He then led them out of the city over to Bethany. Raising his hands, he blessed them, and while blessing them, took his leave, being carried up to heaven. They were on their knees, worshipping him. They returned to Jerusalem, bursting with joy. They spent all their time in the temple, praising God. End of verses. So what's happened just before this? He got crucified. Did you miss all that? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's a fair point. That is a fair point. We've been talking about context for the last nine episodes. Yeah, so immediately before it, there's a passage where it talks about Jesus appearing to the disciples. So it seems like he, he rose from the dead and then he kind of visits a lot of the disciples at different times. Seems like they all have an encounter with him um, and kind of learn something, maybe. Or maybe not. Maybe they don't learn much. Yeah, but the message is really strange because it kind of... It's not, so like in the other Bible translations, it's its own little thing. So it's like the ascension of Jesus, isn't it? I don't know if yours has got that, but the message is part of you are the witnesses. Okay. So it's right at the end of that. So it's like saying that he went up, he went on to open their understanding of the word of God and then kind of then saying like, like you're that, though, Because there's something final about saying the ascension of Jesus. It's almost like, but by making it part of you are the witnesses, it's like, it doesn't really matter that he's physically disappearing. Mm. What does, I know this will sound really stupid, but what does the ascension actually mean? He, I, know what, I know what the word ascension means, but I mean, what does it mean here? It means he went to heaven. Well, verse, verse 51 says, while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Does that mean like he sort of slipped away out of the room and they never saw him again? Or Because mm. I feel like when when you see like a depiction of the ascension, it's almost like he sort of levitates up like so it was like, like, mm. up on a cloud towards heaven. Probably. Yeah, but this is a bit more like, you know that phrase like you got a friend who does a Houdini at a party. He just leaves. <laughs> <laughs> Never see them again for yeah. the rest of the night. 
Well, what translation have you got? Um, This is the new international version. Okay, because I've got the Passion, and it says, um, while he was still speaking out words of love and blessing, he floated off the ground into the sky, ascending into heaven before their very eyes. So that is the sort of dramatic rising up into the clouds version. Yeah. NIV is obviously a bit more... Like the stairway to heaven kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I was going to say as well, I feel like this is quite underrepresented in like media and art mm. when, you said, when you see depictions of it i can't actually picture any depictions of the ascension whereas the birth i can the crucifixion i can but then this equally miraculous ascension into heaven that no one has ever done before or since i've never seen it so why is it so sort of glossed over I'm just looking in the NET version of the Bible, and there's a little note here in verse 51 um, on the last part of it. So, and was taken up into heaven. There's a note that says, the reference to the ascension is lacking in some copies of the Bible, but it says the the authenticity of the statement here seems to be presupposed in Acts 1 verse 2. For otherwise, it is difficult to account for Luke's reference to the ascension there. So, and it says, there is great debate whether this event equals Acts 1 verses 9 to 11, so that Luke has telescoped something here that he describes in more detail later. It's spread in this way because the temporal marker in verse 50 is vague, so like the reference to the time. So maybe um, I could have a look in uh, Acts 1, 9 to 11, and we can see what that says. Yeah, do it. I just find it really interesting that, you know, you think, like you say, Lucy, it's probably as equal as all the other miracles that happened in the build-up to this. And this is like, in this account of it, it's such a small percentage of the book. Those last three verses. And he just floated up to heaven. Yeah. Like it's normal. And like, obviously I know it has been painted and it has been represented in some places, but in my experience, nowhere near as much as the crucifixion or Jesus' birth. Everyone can picture a nativity scene, can't they? How many thousands of them have you seen in your life? But I cannot tell you one picture of the Ascension that I've seen and can like credit, you know what I mean? Whereas some of the others. Okay. So the Ascension Day is quite a big thing, isn't it? Like you don't realise... Well, I never realised that it was actually a thing, but there's an Ascension Day in, in the life of the church, isn't there? Yeah, in other churches. So so from my Church of England background, I do know that that's a thing. But mm. the Salvation Army, it's not as well celebrated. No. And I don't know why. Okay, so this is what it says in Acts 1, going from verse 6. So when they had gathered together, they began to ask him, Lord, is this the time when you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He told them, you are not permitted to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the farthest parts of the earth. After he had said this, this is the bit that I'm actually focusing on. After he had said this, while they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud hid them from their sight. As they were still staring into the sky while he was going, suddenly two men in white clothing stood near them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand... I won't do that stupid voice. Men of Galilee, 
Why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Mm. Again, two guys. We looked at that. Yeah. The men in white. The men in white again. They oh, get around. Get one free when you hire them. Like, yeah. I'm just um, reading the other accounts of um, the post appearance of Jesus. Because John's gospel is very different, as usual. Luke doesn't really go into detail about all the meetings with the disciples. He's kind of just like, Jesus appeared to them all, then he ascended. That was it. Whereas John, um, he goes into a bit more detail. So he talks about the appearance of the disciples, the appearance to Thomas, then the moment where Simon, Peter and Thomas and some others of the disciples are out fishing and then Jesus calls them in from the shore and they have breakfast together and they know it's Jesus. That happens. And then also when Jesus reinstating Peter. And I just think it's quite interesting that John tells a very different kind of, he goes into a lot more detail about Jesus being more like personable with the disciples and giving more kind of instruction. Whereas Luke's just like, oh yeah, he blessed us and then went to heaven. Mm. There's going to be various reasons as we know, like as we've said throughout this whole thing, that the accounts are different because they're from different people. So if they were all word for word verbatim, we'd be a bit suspicious that they weren't written by different people and have different accounts. But my favourite line in the last verse of John's Gospel says this, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose even the whole world would not have room for the books that could be written. Mm. That's the last line of John's Gospel. That's a nice phrase somehow. Mm. Feels very unbiblical. Yeah. Very like feels very contemporary. Mm. Mm. It's a strange but beautiful line in my eyes because it's like Jesus did many other things as well. It's it almost sounds if you read sometimes a bit like a justification, like Jesus did lots of other things as well, but there isn't enough space in books to write about it. Like he did do other things. This Jesus isn't just limited to this. It's almost like John is trying to reassure us that what he's written isn't the only caption of Jesus, mm. that there is so much more to him. I should, yeah, I should try that at work. <laughs> and people are like, what did you do today? I, mean, like, I did so many things that even the whole world would not have space for them. <laughs> <laughs> My to-do list would be too big to share with you. <laughs> That's why I don't tell you about all of them. <laughs> but it is just so, like, human, isn't it? That The way you worded it as well. Like mm -hmm. you say, Lucy, it's not biblical. It's not like this. Well, I'd be intrigued to see what, like, the King James's version or something. Yeah. But like, that's, that's very colloquial, but I don't know if King James's would be. Yeah, I'm going to have a look. Because I just think the way it's worded is, is so refreshing. Because it's yeah. like, you know when they have that argument with someone, not an argument, debate with someone that is like trying to like defunct anything that is Jesus. And you're like, yeah, but he did more than, you know, it is like he's sticking up, like you say, isn't it? Um, the Gospel of Mark is similar to Luke that it kind of just talks about Jesus rising, meeting with all the disciples. And then it just says, after the Lord Jesus spoke to them, he was taken up to heaven to sit with the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied with it. So that's just Mark. And then Matthew. Doo -doo -doo. So Matthew has Jesus has risen um, about Mary Magdalene seeing him. Then the guards report, which is basically the guards that were 
guarding Jesus's tomb, saying that they didn't do anything. They didn't like see, see Jesus's disciples take the body. And then it just says the Great Commission, which is obviously quite famous in Matthew's Gospel. It says the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came to them and said, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. And that's it. So really, it's only Luke and John that really describe, like, explain of a physical ascension. Mm. Yeah. So going back to the King James Version, for the King James Version, it actually sounds really human, not old school William Shakespeare, it's like, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. So again, it's just like normal language, isn't it? It's very like first person and like the narrator is addressing the audience directly. They're not just reporting what happened, they're putting their spin on it. Which does happen, but it's also, it stands out a bit in this um, context. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Makes you, makes you remember that these are human people that have written these books. Yeah, and when we were reading that, it's very short lines, and I was very keen to compare it to the other Gospels, but it did make me think, and I have thought this in the past, I've always found it really curious as to why Jesus only appears to the disciples. Mm. he doesn't appear I think it's really important to note that he doesn't appear to big crowds or anyone mm. other than the disciples and I think it's that you know it's not that Jesus needed to prove his resurrection mm. um, and that the physical proof of his resurrection is not what is needed it's the it's the faith and belief in the power of God and of all of that but mm. yeah it's interesting isn't it it's curious though, isn't it? Because he's gone through all of that pain and heartache on the Friday, risen again on Sunday, got this new, literally a new lease of life, and he's only alive for, what, another less than a day? Is this, mm. is this still Sunday when he ascends, or is it Monday? Well, yeah, I was if you that. go according to John, it's not, because according to John, he does other things in between. <laughs> Because it all seems to happen really quickly, doesn't it? It seems like, oh, it's Easter Sunday. Then they're on the road to Emmaus, which would have probably been that same day. Yeah. By the sounds of things. Because they heard from the, the, you know, the ladies that, he, you know, that there was this man in white. And then they were on this road. So it sounds like it's the same day, doesn't it? Yeah. He's like run around all the different disciples saying hi. And yeah. then gone to this. Uh, are they having a dinner? I don't know. No, he's had his last supper. He's had his. Uh, <laughs> he's had his broiled fish. Fish in his <laughs> And dessert, as we found out. So. Very importantly. Um, and then he, yeah, ascended again. And you'd think, well, we would think in our limited human consciousness, why not show the world this miracle you just performed—the biggest miracle you've ever performed? You've come back to life. <laughs> Maybe get some like evidence and get someone to make a portrait or like, you know, make a statue to commemorate this massive thing you've just done. Nope. Bye again. 
But I think it's thing that keeps coming back to me as we read this, like, before he dies, it's easy to believe in him because he's there physically and you can see it and you can see his power of his miracles and his healing and all of that. And then after he dies, you're relying on your own faith. Mm-hmm. If he had appeared to a big crowd like he had done before, of course everyone would believe in the resurrection and everything that happens because there was no way to not believe it if you're seeing it with your own eyes. I, I feel like there's, you know, this distinction between what came before and what came after. Um, I think it, it shows the, the beauty of, of who Jesus was, doesn't it? It shows that Jesus wasn't about the, the big flashy stuff. It was about the, the faith. It was about, like, I, I believe in you, the believer of me, if that makes any sense. So like, it's almost like he's giving it to the disciples to say, look, it's now your job to go and preach about who I was and go and tell the people that I did right, you know, come back to life and, you know, believing in us as believers, which is like the, you know, a really strange parallel, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So in my head, I had an idea that this is going back to the timeline of what it was, but I didn't, I didn't want to say it unless it was right, but it was 40 days. Mm-hmm. What between rise um, between Sunday and the Ascension? Yeah. Oh. I thought I, in my head I was like, "This definitely forty because there's a parallel. There's like joke. There's like lots of symmetry with the forty. And then I was like, "I don't know if that's right. I don't know if I just made that up." But I've just oh, maybe it's like when you um, leave a job, but you've got loads of annual leave that you haven't taken, so it's just like using it all up. And then he goes, <laughs> "No, no, okay, just you, just no idea." That's quite a big fact to leave out of your account, though, isn't it? Yeah. When Luke writes it, it makes it sound like it's still Sunday, but no, it's six weeks later. <sighs> so a lot could happen in six weeks. How do you hide Jesus for six weeks? And what does he do in this time? Is that what John's referring to when he says, so much happened that I can't write it down? Surely that's quite an important time of his life to have written down. I don't know, I'm not an expert. Maybe he's buying souvenirs. Social distancing. Maybe he's doing autographing. So, um, just touch in the timeline to just get more like specifics. So you have Resurrection Sunday, which you have the Mary Magdalene seeing him, um, Mary of uh, Salome, Joanna, and the other women, Simon Peter, uh, Cleopas, and companion on the road to Emmaus. Then you have in the moving from Resurrection um, Sunday into the days after, you've got him meeting with the eleven disciples minus Thomas. Then. In the space of eight days after Resurrection Sunday, you have him meeting all the others, including Thomas. Then over the next few weeks, you have seven disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, um, disciples in large gathering on the mountain in Galilee, which you can read in Matthew 28 and 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6. Then there's Jesus meeting James, which you can read in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7. And then on the 40th day, disciples, possibly in Jerusalem, before he led them out to the um, Mount of Olives, gave the Great Commission and ascended to heaven, which you can read in Luke 24 and Acts 1. Mm. I think you don't appreciate the time always, do you? Because you kind of zip through the, um, especially the Gospels, you kind of zip through them. It's like mm. anecdote after anecdote. You don't think about the time in between too much. Like I always wonder what happened in the downtime, Jesus and the 
disciples, you know, what are they chat about? Yeah, like all those conversations they could have had. Yeah. And 40 days, that's a long time. It's a really long time. Like if you think about the period of Lent, which is 40 days, when you give up something, that feels like an extended period. You know, that's over a month. That's a month and almost two weeks. Six weeks, that is, essentially. That's a long time for Jesus to be on earth but not be seen by anyone other than disciples as well. Yeah. Really interesting. Quarantine. Yeah. But then it's, remember, do we go back, then we go back to this whole thing, like we said on the road to Emmaus, that when we were talking about how they didn't recognise him at first, and we said, is that because they weren't they weren't looking for Jesus and how we only see Jesus when we look for him. So the world wasn't looking for Jesus because in their mind, Jesus was gone. He died. He hadn't done what he hadn't been this miraculous savior. So they weren't looking for a Jesus. So Jesus could have walked through Jerusalem and nobody would have thought, oh, oh, my gosh, that's Jesus, you know, of Nazareth. Mm. They just would have thought this was just any other guy. Like the TARDIS's perception filter. That's too niche. Too niche. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, well, it's, it's almost hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Mm. But then it's the same for us now, isn't it? Because we can go the, our whole lives without seeing Jesus around us and in the lives of those around us. And he's there for us to see if we just open our eyes. Mm metaphorically speaking open our eyes but we don't always do that yeah and it shows exactly who he is actually there was a bit in one of the passages we read in an earlier episode that we sort of glossed over and then after the episode i was like how did we not pick up on this because we were just too busy talking about someone else i think it was the last i think it was in the last supper episode after the apostles are arguing about which of them is going to be the greatest i think we got preoccupied with that Jesus says, so it's, I'm looking at Luke 22, verse 25. Jesus interrupted their argument, saying, The kings and men of authority in this world rule oppressively over their subjects, claiming that they do it for the good of the people. They are obsessed with how others see them. But this is not your calling. You will lead by a different model. The greatest one among you will live as one called to serve others without honour. The greatest honour and authority is reserved for the one who has a servant heart. The leaders who are served are the most important in your eyes, but in the kingdom it is the servants who lead. Am I not here with you as one who serves you? And I just thought that sums up everything that Jesus is. Mm. The humility and the servant heart. That I feel like we talk about it a lot in the Salvation Army, about having a servant heart. Mm. I think it can actually be quite challenging because yeah. in our like we said, in our limited human consciousness, we go, oh, why didn't he show more people he was alive? Why didn't he take a picture? Why didn't he share it with all these people? Like, that's what you have to do. You have to show everybody what you're doing. You have to make everybody know what's going on when actually you're doing just as much good, even though nobody sees it. And that's what I think true Christianity can boil down to, mm. is having that servant heart getting on with something and not expect anybody to see it or any praise or anything like that. I think that's just what Jesus is doing here. He's getting on with basically still working a miracle, isn't he? Mm. Yeah. But he's not expecting recognition. He's not looking for praise or glory or anything. Yeah, and being Jesus in these encounters is like an afterthought. The first thing he does is like try to teach them something or 
show them something and then at the end of it he's like oh by the way i was jesus <laughs> but it's like the important thing is to change their hearts and yeah. their minds and then you know the fact that it's jesus obviously is important but it's not about the status of that knowledge mm. as it were yeah exactly does that make sense yeah, yeah. very much so yeah. but i use this as an example a couple of months ago now in a conversation with somebody about mass congregations and huge church gatherings versus small congregations church family etc um an individual was arguing that they um that they wish that the army had stadium filled seats and all of you know the big hysteria mega church type con congregate congregants and I said actually I don't want that because I said if I think we always talk about like Jesus coming back and I think if Jesus came back today he wouldn't be at the O2 he would be in the coffee shop with a small group of people and I don't want to say that like with assertion like that's where Jesus would be but in my opinion I'm saying that's where I thought Jesus would be and I said I you and I used this passage as a an example because I said after he resurrected, after he did the most, as you said, Lucy, the most incredible act, you know, he 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 rose from the dead. He didn't choose to show this off to everybody. He chose to come come to a small group of people and for that to start a catalyst for changing the world. He didn't throw a stadium tour, you know, like, oh, look what I've done, I've done this and parade around. He didn't also ascend with this massive great big party. There was no chariots of fire. There was no golden ladder ascending. Not that they say there was anyway. I thought you said golden ladder then. <laughs> no, ladder. <laughs> there was just him blessing, commissioning, confirming the disciples in what they needed because he knew if he left them the way that he, that he did that they wouldn't feel complete to go out and spread the word. But just by them seeing him and by them having those 40 days with him, or not that they spent every day, but having that time with him, they were then able to tell people who would tell people who would tell people who would tell people. And Jesus didn't need to do that because he knew his act was powerful enough that it would spread without him needing to show that. Mm. And that actually we don't have to have O2 filled stadiums to show the love of God and for people to be changed. You know, yes, I'm not I'm not saying they don't happen in those places because they do. I know people who go there and whose sin lives be changed, but they can also happen in a small context. You know, we can have a coffee shop Bible study with a group of people and one person can go to work feeling empowered by the Holy Spirit and tell their colleague and be a support to their friend. And that person's life be changed and that person's life be changed in all those ways. And I think it's I just love that as an example of. The power of Jesus in mm. everything, in in showing what he is capable of doing. Mm. I think um, so. I was looking back when Joe said about Acts and uh, Acts one. So I've just been reading it, and I've got the Passion Translation because it's the first one that came up on my my Bible app on my phone. Um, and it just amazes me that about this whole forty days thing. And it kind of comes back to like what Beth's saying about, you know, he didn't go to the masses and he's sort of staying with 
the th- you know the few and it's like there's a part in verse four where it's like and shares meals with them so he's just staying in community with them but then jesus instructs them don't leave jerusalem but wait here until you receive the gift i told you about so again he's teaching this whole thing of rest and this whole thing of taking time don't rush into things like, um you think how easy it could have been for these disciples to to go out and to try and proclaim jesus is alive oh my goodness he's risen from the dead how easy that would have been but actually jesus is in that moment still teaching them to say look time is on your side you know there's no rush to do this i think there's so many truths we can take from it you know in our own walks of life with how we you know we can easily rush into to doing things and going going oh we need to share that now we need to do this right now we expect news so instantly now don't we yeah. news article that's a week old that's old news but then information's travelling by word of mouth it's going to take time, days and weeks for information to disseminate through the population mm-hmm. so 40 days is nothing probably for news to get from one town to the next Yeah. I mean, I'm not a histo- historian or geographer but <laughs> in my no, you're right though. I was thinking though, interesting as he ascends there's no trumpets or brass bands or singing just worship is what it says mm. they worshipped him with noise or music or anything they just worshipped yeah and that must have just come from a really like raw special place there was no like formulation of the marching band or yeah. you know pre- there's no time to prepare he just started descending so they yeah, just responded how they could mm. and I think that speaks volumes of the way we could and should worship just in that moment where we are without all this preparation no i think you're right though i think um like you say it would have been such a what the heart wants and those those present would have been worshiping in the way that their hearts would have felt individually instead of feeling like you had to perform a certain way and worship a certain way which is a very dangerous thing that religion has done where it's like you have to perform worship in a certain way because you know you can go to a church and there'll be someone with their hands in the air singing out a tune and you'll be like oh they're not singing like we we do or they're not acting like we've done yeah i'm guilty of that growing up but actually it was raw it's what the heart is craving it's it's what your heart wants to do it's lifting and that's what it would have been wouldn't it it would have just been these these people that are are just so in love and wanting to worship their lord and savior that they you know no one's there to judge them no one's going to be standing there with a you know a stick going you should be performing a certain way so i like that We've talked about this before, haven't we, about yeah. what worship means and what it is and how you can feel weird when you're in a setting where everyone else seems to be worshipping and you're not getting on with it or, you know, you're just not feeling it and mm. you're like, am I not worshipping? Am I doing this wrong or something? But actually, there are so many ways to do it. I don't think there's a right way. Yeah. And this particular moment, like imagine all the disciples, first they think this guy's died and then he comes back to them. And they must think, oh, he's here for life now. He's going to stay with us. And then suddenly he starts to rise up, like out of nowhere. They've got no preparation time, really. 
So they're like, maybe this is now the actual last time we're ever going to see him. Mm. And we've got like three minutes before he's gone. Yeah. You've got that time to show him the worship and adoration you have for him. Mm. And like, you wouldn't hold back, would you? You've got those few minutes as your like final expression of love for this man who has just changed the world. Mm. You wouldn't, you're not going to hold back. That would have been such a special moment. That's really powerful to think, and I, I wonder if we charged everybody, if every worship time that was led was charged with that, mm. what would your worship be like? Yeah. Yeah, if you just got rid of the structure that we have in place in religion, I say religion because I'm, I'm putting a big old black mark on it all. If you took that away and you literally just went, you know, Jesus is ascending... Yeah, I mean, like, my worship would be completely different to Beth's. And, like, we've said it before, like, about prayer and about the singing and the brass banding in the Salvation Army and stuff. Like, yes, but to me, that is a part of... That was a part of my worship. That was a part of my ministry. But so can when I cook and just listening to music and I'm just thinking about what God's done and for me and... You know, that kind of mindset is also worship and stuff. It's just, there's so many things, isn't there? But also, you know, so I gave my nan a, um, a, a Bible that you could colour in and she was absolutely over the moon. And I know my nan loves colouring. Like we, She's always had colouring books at her house and I had it, but I didn't use it. So I gave it to her and the expression I could see on her face and she was like, oh, the time I can spend on this, she was like, I just feel like it can come the words can come alive to me even more in doing this and I can be more reflective. That's worship. Her colouring in those passages, mm. you know, we had a lady who used to do doodles when during the meeting she used to doodle and write words and images. That's worship. Expressing what God is speaking to you is worship. Mm. And I just love that. It doesn't have to take the form of singing. It can be anything else. Yeah. I've seen this phrase going around at the moment. Live every day like it's your last day in quarantine. And that's how we should be with worship as well. Mm. Worship every time like it's Ascension Day. And I guess it would be similar if you've had the experience of losing a loved one as well. Mm. Not, I've not had that personally. Like I can imagine if you're like by the hospital bed and you've got a finite amount of time left, all the things you'd want to say, all the hugs and kisses you'd want to give, knowing it's your last ever opportunity mm. like that real passion there isn't it like that deep feeling of like this is i have to give my everything mm. when beth's granddad passed away there was well before he passed away it was like was it the week before we went to visit him it was two days no two days um they're linking in with that there was a moment where beth was like i'm gonna say my goodbyes like she just knew knew that this could be the last time you'll have that opportunity, mm. and we both held her like his hand, and I remember praying. I prayed, didn't I? And mm. I think you prayed, and I don't think I've ever felt like you say like that. That could have been the last ever prayer he heard. It wasn't because it was like two days later. But in that moment, I felt like if this is the last thing. You know, and we he had his music playing and stuff as well, didn't it? And in that moment, we both were like, this could be the last time that David could could be on this earth kind of thing in, in this way before he goes 
to be with his father. And that was really powerful, wasn't it? And it, that, it, it does change your perception on what it's all about and why we do it. You know, and even going back on a personal level to when I had my car accident, I'm not saying I would have died, but, you know, the police and that were really surprised that I was walking. They were like, you know, we were expecting a body bag. And it almost puts it, it always brings it back to earth because you're almost like, actually, that could have been the last thing. Like, what, what did I do before that that warranted me to go to heaven? I know you don't go to heaven on good works, but I mean, in the sense of worship, like, I never, ever really, yeah, and I, I don't think I ever put God first until that moment, and that was a real big changing point for me, personally, mm. and it was the same with, you know, different things that have happened since then, but I don't know what I was going with that. Well, I think, I'm quite guilty of this, I always think, I suppose I always put things off in this regard, I always think, oh, I'll pray later, or I'll pray properly later, or... I'll read the Bible later or I'll, you know, and it's not, it's not that I don't want to do these things, but I think I'll, I'm a bit like, I want to do it properly mm. later. Mm. Yeah. So it's not that I'm like, Oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'll do it later. It's more like, Oh, I need, I need to do it properly. Yeah. But I think if you live like that the whole time, you're just gonna, you're going to run out of time and you, it's, it's probably better to just make the most of every moment you have and just spend that time reading the Bible, even if it's only like 30 seconds a minute, than just constantly going, oh, I'll do it later when I've got more time. I'll do it later when my mind's in the right mindset. I'll do it later when I can really think about God and I'm in a better place or whatever. Yeah. We're often so consumed with our worldly priorities that we think I've already got this, this, this to do. Bible's going to have to come after that because the Bible's not going to help me, you know, finish my to-do list or get the laundry done. So I'm I've got to leave that till after I've done all the important things, almost. Or is that just me? <laughs> um, yeah. And it's really, yeah, I think we all do it to some extent. And I think you need these experiences. Like you said, John, as horrible as they are, these experiences can really bring it to life for us. And I think in a way you're so blessed to have had that experience and that like, ignition of your heart and it's just I feel like it's just opened your soul up more than it was before and I can see in your life you're just so God-centered and it's really incredible to see actually because I don't know many men your age that can live their life that honestly and that powerfully for Jesus yeah it's a, I think it's 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 really tough because it's so easy, like you say, to put. Like I I try to read my Bible every morning. It's like the first thing I do, and it can be so easy to just see a notification like, oh, Facebook, oh, someone commented on your photo, and you'd be like, straight away, that's the first thing I'll go and see. Then you're off, and then you're like, oh, I'm consumed by that, or you know, there's there's been, you know, occasions where like. I want to spend, I want to listen to music or I'll go on Spotify to listen to my worship playlist and then there'll be a new album by Keen and I'm like, oh, I've got to listen to that now. And it, you just, you get consumed by the other things. Um, but you are right. I think it, it is so easy to do and it's not a bad thing. 
in a way it's just you know it's just making sure you prioritize it in the right way i always see this quote all the time it kind of pops up on my pinterest feed and on my instagram feed a lot it's just it's very it's quite cheesy but it's just very true and honest it's a lot of pastors quote it about living your live today like jesus is coming tomorrow Mm. i know for sure like we don't do that enough and there are days that I think, you know, we do that well. And there are other days when I really fail at that. But I just think how powerful if the whole world or even just every Christian, every person who professes and confesses to have a heart for Jesus lived every day as if they thought Jesus was coming tomorrow. Mm-hmm. What would this world be like? How much, like, would it be like you said, Lucy, just this pure act of worship would we be would words be kinder would be would we be worrying less about whether the music suited the over 50s or the or the under 30s or the teenagers would we be concerned about whether an individual is wearing nail varnish or would we be concerned about how many practices they they'd attended what and in my opinion those things wouldn't matter at all what would matter would be our heart how how will we what was the first thing we did when we woke up how did we did we thank God for the breath in our, you know, on our lungs? Did we mm. thank him for the food on our table? Did we give, you know, thanks for the people we're living in our home together, for all the loves of our life? Would Did we go out into the world and try to be kind, good people? Did we seek for justice for people? Did we try to champion those who don't have a voice? Did we do all these things? Not everyone's going to be able to do everything, but God gave us a heart for different things. And I think if we all use those things that God moulded us to be on that last day, I just think this world would just be an incredible place. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I've just thought of another quarantine parallel I've heard where it said, if you were diagnosed with the virus tomorrow and you looked back on the last two weeks, would you be proud of everywhere you'd been? Does that make sense? So, like, obviously, because the last two weeks you'd have been infectious and you could have infected loads of people. Would you be happy with all the places you went to and all the people you saw? Or would you feel guilty because actually you made some unnecessary journeys or you did, or you like took a risk that you didn't need to and actually you could have put someone else's life in danger? And it's kind of similar, isn't it? It's like if we knew that tomorrow was the day we were going to meet Jesus or get diagnosed with a virus, would you look back on the last two weeks and be proud of what you've done? Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that makes much sense. It makes sense to yeah. me. It's a good parallel. And it shouldn't, the thing is, it's like, you know, you always see those people that say their lives were changed by near-death experiences or a health scare or something like that. And I'm always like, it shouldn't take that. But it does, and I'm not devaluing your experience. You know that, Jay, like, you know, I, I saw the change in your life, but I just find it interesting that we have to go through those experiences to feel that in this world you know our lives are now so wrapped up in everything else that we have to have something to change our perspectives but i always i always go back to like the film like bruce almighty or um even like harry potter where it's like that white you know where he like he dies he goes to speak to dumbledore and it's like white and then he can go back again it is almost like that thing for some people isn't it like oh you almost like have that like you say that near-death experience and it's like you meet with him and he's like, you're not done yet, boyo, kind of thing. Um, but I think for some people it is such a 
a big turning point because you do take stuff for granted and it would have probably been exactly the same for these disciples they probably would have taken walking and living with jesus for granted seeing all those things for granted as soon as jesus dies on that cross we 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 read about it we've looked about it they're so thick-headed as the message translation says <laughs> about about it all like they just think oh that's it he's gone because they took it all for granted while it was there as soon as it went you know, so Jesus coming back then be and then go, you know, ascending to heaven was almost like that kind of the white room, and he's having that conversation with him. Look, we're not done yet. I need to teach you all this, so then you can go out and talk, you know, teach ever, you know, everybody else about this. Um, I just think it's such a, a good life lesson for us in in that aspect that we're no different to these people that we walked and lived with. So. I agree, John. It is difficult in our society as well. I mean, every society throughout history has had its own struggles, but ours is full of capitalism, commodification, you know, quick, it's full of instant gratification. We don't have time to, you know, even wait for a taxi, call an Uber and it's there. Like, we just, we can't wait for anything. We don't have time because we, all of us here, have been born in a society where whatever you want is at your fingertips. We've got it on a phone, we've got it on the internet, whatever information you want, whatever food you want, it's in the supermarket. So something like this crisis we're currently in, where we're finding that supermarkets don't actually have everything in it, I really hope it's making people realise how fortunate we are in daily life, that we have everything at our fingertips and we take it for granted. Mm. So I guess that's probably another quarantine parallel, (laughs) that the disciples had Jesus every day. And they may not have realised what a blessing that was. We in this country, in this society, we have so much to, to be grateful for. Those of us who are able to afford it, we have everything we could possibly want at our fingertips. You go into one shop and you can get absolutely anything you need. Um, and we take it for granted in a time like this where it's become more difficult. Um, I've actually just been thinking of another one. And I was just thinking about how obviously the ascension is what the disciples will see as the end that is like the proper end of Jesus's life on earth and they've had so much time with him that they probably like we've been saying took for granted and now that it's over they're probably going to feel like bereft they're going to be like oh I wish I'd made more of that or wish I'd you know made the most of every minute and at the moment in our situation we're we're finding the end of a lot of things because events are being cancelled, our future plans are being cancelled and we're just in this time of like sadness really. We feel like the world as we know it has ended. We've got, we've not even got a social life, like <laughs> something quite basic that we're probably all now realising that we took for granted. Like us going over to your house for dinner. Oh, I wish we'd had one more of them before this quarantine happened. But just because it feels like it's the end of this like chapter there is new life to come and I think that's what this whole Easter story is about and that's what we can get from this is that this whole Jesus has been through this whole experience of being riding into Jerusalem on a donkey being celebrated as this hero who's going to save them to them being persecuted executed rising again and then spending time quietly with his disciples after he's risen to then ascending quietly and 
he's been through all of this so that we can have new hope and new life in the future. Preach, sister. That made me really emotional. That made perfect sense, and that's it was. Re- it's a really lovely way to yeah. finish everything. This series. Mm. Oh, and I think I hope it was right because I find like sometimes, like I know this all happened, or like all the stories. I'm like I know it happened. What does that actually mean for us now? Yeah. But that he was crucified and rose again. What do What does that mean for my life now? Mm. And I think I get it. Yeah, it means we receive, you know, we have grace, we have forgiveness, we have we have a relationship with Jesus. It means that we no longer have to live in a broken relationship between humans and God. We now have Jesus is the line between us. You know, he, he tore the veil between all of that and we now can have a relationship with the God and we have the Holy Spirit mm. and we have encounters of Jesus in our life and we live a life on this earth with that. But then we have something even greater, and that is eternity. Mm. So we we get that and tenfold and more so. So, yeah. But what you said was really yeah, beautiful. Lovely. Thank you. And that's not, if that sounded ingenuine, I really didn't mean it to sound ingenuine, but it really was beautiful. It was great. <laughs> it was beautiful. <laughs> uh, thank you. It'll do. Mm. <laughs> that was really good. Mm. So thank you for joining us for our final episode of this Easter series. We hope you've enjoyed journeying with us. I'm sure you'll have noticed that none of us are experts in these matters. We're just four friends who like getting together and learning more about the Bible and about our Saviour. We're so pleased that so many people seem to have followed on our journey with us and we hope you've got as much out of it as we have. Um, We'd love to know what you thought, so leave us a review somewhere. And we hope to be back with you at some point for a series two. So stay tuned. Follow us on our socials to keep up with the latest news and see you then. Bye. 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 Can we do that? Can we have just John crying over the drink? <laughs>